0: Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10am service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us. And check out our website at mpbc.org.au Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, Niger. Lucius of Cyrene, Maniur, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrach, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, They placed their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Nicole. So this week we're going to be looking at a fruitful church and a fruitful church is also a spirit-fueled church. So throughout the book of Acts and uh, particularly in Antioch, which we're focused on in this series the message about Jesus started to spread like wildfire and people from different cultures and different social backgrounds were responding to this message about Jesus and they were turning from shameful practices and they were forming churches or communities in the name of Jesus. And uh, we, we call, we sort of the, the book that we're drawing these sermons from is the book of Acts and we, we often call the book of Acts... Uh, The Acts of the Apostles, that's sort of its official name. But really, uh, it was the acts and the actions of the Holy Spirit that were center stage in this book. The church grew and was fruitful because of the movement of the Holy Spirit in, in people's lives and because the church in Jerusalem and also in Antioch were guided and empowered by the Spirit. What characterised the ministry and mission of the followers of Jesus in the book of Acts and especially in the church in Antioch was that it was spirit fueled From start to finish, the Holy Spirit sets the agenda. He opens doors, challenges false ideas, removes roadblocks, leads the way forward, energises and empowers people for ministry, empowers people to care for the needy, empowers people to speak God's word, to heal the sick, empowers them to drive out demons. But the Spirit's work in the book of Acts wasn't just a, a sort of shock and awe power show. In the Gospels and in the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit at work in actually transforming people's lives from the inside out. Can I get this to go forward? The Apostle Peter was a great example of someone who was transformed from the inside out by the Holy Spirit. So Peter is this larger-than-life character uh, in, the, in the Gospels, and often he promises a lot more than he can deliver. He's prone to making big statements, only to have to retract them later on. In fact, uh, on one occasion in Luke twenty-two thirty-three, Jesus predicts that Peter will be tested by Satan, and will actually fail to follow him well, or fail to actually acknowledge Jesus. But Peter, in typical fashion, he declares in front of Jesus and in front of all of his sort of disciple buddies that, that he wouldn't, and he was ready to go to prison with Jesus. In fact, he was ready to die with Jesus, if need be. But what we find is Peter didn't actually have the courage to go to prison to die with Jesus before Jesus' death and resurrection. In fact, he never really had the strength in himself to follow Jesus properly or to be what he wanted to be or, or who he felt God was calling him to be. And which is why Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to all of his followers. So on the night when Jesus was arrested, Peter actually followed the soldiers to, to the place where, where, where they were keeping Jesus. But in actually, in, instead of actually standing and saying, yes, I'm with that guy, what does Peter do? He couldn't even admit to a servant girl that he, Peter, the bold fisherman, knew Jesus. After Jesus' resurrection on the day of Pentecost, though, Peter is actually transformed and in Acts chapter two verse fourteen, Peter stood up and in front of the thousands of Jews in Jerusalem declared that what God had done through Christ. You see, the fear had gone; he was transformed. In Acts four eight, we're told uh, Peter gains courage to speak in front of rulers and people, and even the elders of the uh, of the uh, of the Jews, including in front of the high priest Caiaphas. And we're told that he's able to do this because he's been filled with the Spirit of God. In Acts 4.13, it says that the Jewish leaders were amazed by Peter and John's boldness because they were speaking with such confidence, even though they hadn't had any formal education. The difference between Peter before he received the Holy Spirit and after is like the difference between chalk and cheese. And and you know what that that would be like if you put either of those in your mouth. You see, Peter was redeemed by Jesus and Jesus' resurrection, by his death and resurrection, but he was transformed by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, who enabled him to be all that he longed to be when he was walking with Jesus. Friends, I want to suggest to you this morning that for us to be a fruitful church, we also need to be fuelled by the Holy Spirit for life and for ministry. But the Holy Spirit wasn't just for Peter or the apostles or the disciples at the time of Jesus. All followers of Jesus received the promise of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, just as Jesus had promised when he was with them. And Paul reaffirms this when he says that uh, all who are in Christ receive the Holy Spirit. And we read that in Romans 8 9. And he says that the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. Also in 1 Corinthians 6:19 to 20, Paul says, "Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God?" In John 14:16, Jesus told his disciples that the Father would give them another counselor to be with them forever. And so Jesus was actually reassuring them because he just told them that he was going to the Father. He just told them that he was going to leave. And can you imagine, you know, the guy who's been with you, leading you for three years that you've been with basically day and night is just about to say, well, I'm, not, I'm going somewhere else. That would leave you quite distraught. But Jesus promises that he wouldn't actually, they wouldn't actually be left alone. Because God would send them another counsellor just like him. And the word, the Greek word that's used here for another means another one just like the first. In other words, Jesus was promising that the Father would send another one just like Jesus. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples, it's actually to your benefit that I go. Because then he and the Father would send them the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit would dwell in them 24-7, 365 days a year. And wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't just be with Jesus walking alongside them, Jesus' Spirit would be living in them. Now I mentioned these promises of God to give his Spirit to everyone who puts their trust in Jesus this morning because I want to remind you that everyone who is in Christ receives the Holy Spirit when they first believe. And the Holy Spirit's not an add-on extra for super-spiritual Christians. The Holy Spirit isn't just for Charismatics or Pentecostals. In fact, Scripture makes it very clear that there's no such thing really as a Christian who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, who doesn't receive the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's impossible to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. And it's also impossible as a Christian to lose the Holy Spirit. What is possible, though, is that we can try to live a Christian life without the, as if the Holy Spirit isn't in us. And we, can also, we, and we do this when we ignore him, when he seeks to guide us or seeks to speak to us. We can also grieve the Holy Spirit when we just try to live our Christian lives in our own strength. When we keep on willfully sinning and don't respond to his call to us to return to God. To live fruitful lives and to be fruitful church, our life needs to be fuelled by the Holy Spirit. Today there are some Christians um, and some churches that, that don't expect the Spirit's leading. Or when the Spirit does lead, they don't trust it. And I believe that this leads to a lifeless Christianity and a powerless Christianity. And it's neither joyful for the person who is living it and experiencing it and it's also not a pleasant thing for outsiders to see either they're not attracted to it but in contrast in contrast the antiochian church's life worship mission and ministry were fueled by the holy spirit and it was a fruitful church because they relied on the holy spirit in several ways And the first way that the Antiochian church relied on the Holy Spirit was that they actively sought the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit for all they did as a community. In Acts 11.22, we're told Barnabas was sent down to Antioch by the church in Jerusalem. And he was sent because he was meant to discern what was going on down there. Something big was happening in Antioch That which they'd never experienced before, because Greeks, non-Jews, were actually becoming followers of Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit. People who had no connection to Judaism, and so the leaders up in Jerusalem they wanted to know what was happening down here in Antioch. Was it really authentic? And so, what did they do? They sent Barnabas down to check it out. But how was Barnabas able to know that this was a work of God or not? Did he do a questionnaire? You know, tick it off. Did he go with a semi-structured interview? Interview a number of people, and then you know, pull all the data together, write a report, give his opinion back to the people back in Jerusalem. According to my statistics, I think there's probably an eighty percent chance that these people are genuine followers of Jesus. No, that's not what he did. Barnabas, we're told, in Acts eleven twenty four that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. So how did Barnabas know that these people were genuine followers of Jesus? God's Spirit enabled Barnabas to know that. God gave him the wisdom and discernment that he needed for that situation. A role of the Holy Spirit is to lead believers into knowing the truth or the genuineness of someone or something. Jesus says in John chapter, 13, John chapter 16 verse 13 that the spirit of truth will take you by the hand and guide you into all truth there is. He won't draw attention to himself but will make sense out of what is go- about to happen and indeed out of all that I have done and said. That's a role that the Holy Spirit can play in our lives. How would, a Bar- how would Barnabas accept the group of people who for the entire history of his own religious community, for the entire history of his own ethnic group have been understood to be outside of God's pleasure, out, unacceptable to God, unable to become followers of God, how could he then come to see them as authentic followers of Jesus? He could only do that through, by the power of the Holy Spirit who leads us into knowing the truth. But it wasn't just Barnabas who relied on the Holy Spirit to discern things and to know what to do. The leaders in the church in Antioch also did this as well. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1, it says that while the leaders were worshipping the Lord, while they were fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke to them about sending two of their leaders, Paul and Barnabas, away on mission. This is like an AFL football team taking their best two players, the, people who have, the two people that have been instrumental in helping them win the grand final and then deciding that they're going to transfer them to another club. Can you imagine? Why would you do that? Humanly speaking, it doesn't make sense. Why would you take two key leaders, two guys who are foundational in building the church, who taught them about Jesus, who mentored them, who discipled them, who led them, who represented them to the church back in Jerusalem and then suddenly decide, oh, let's send them away so they can minister somewhere else. There's only one reason you would do that and this is because you were convinced that God was telling you to do that and because through that God would be brought more glory. The church didn't receive these instructions, though, out of the blue. We're told that the church received this wisdom while they were actively seeking God in worship, in prayer and in fasting. Only when you're confident that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you you, do you have the confidence to do a bold thing as they did. And as we know, Paul and Barnabas' missionary journeys were just the beginning of this awesome Uh, sort of spread of the gospel throughout uh, uh, Europe and Asia where many, many people became followers of Jesus. Friends, I want to ask you this morning to think about when the last time you sensed God speaking to you. When was the last time you sensed God uh, leading you? In order to gain guidance from the Holy Spirit, we need to position ourselves so that we can hear from God. The Holy Spirit won't force us to listen to him. He won't overpower our will. His voice is gentle. And it often comes through the word of God as we read it. Or it often comes as we pray. It often comes as we set aside normal patterns of daily life and do things like fasting, where we leave off eating food for a while so we can concentrate And open ourselves up to listening to God. It's a challenge today to hear the voice of God as we live in this world of multitasking, you know, reading the Bible, cooking, listening to a podcast all at the same time, or driving. We think we can do all of these things, and there's this sort of unending sort of feed of social media coming into our lives. But in order to position ourselves, or in order rather to hear the voice of God, we need to position ourselves so that we can listen and hear, otherwise we'll miss the great things that God is wanting to do in us and through us. Tom Doyle uh, wrote this book uh, called Dreams and Visions, and it tells, about, tells some of the stories about what God is doing uh, amongst Muslims in the Middle East. And in this book, he tells a story about a woman by the name of Rihanna, who are cross cultural workers in the Middle East. And Rihanna and her husband Kamal are working in a Middle Eastern country, which I won't mention. But one day, while Rihanna is poring over scripture, she's reading the Bible and she's in her devotion. And she's praying and she's reading the Bible very prayerfully. She sends the Lord speaking to her and tell her, today I want you to go and hand out Bibles in town. So she senses this and then she tells her husband, Kamal, Jesus has shown me that I need to go and give out Bibles this morning. But Kamal says, to her, honey, we can't do that. This is a Muslim country. We could end up going, get thrown in jail or or something worse could happen to us. We have to be a little careful, he said. But Rihanna said, no, I have this box of Bibles and I'm going to give them out. And so they argued back and forth for a while. And finally she said, Kamal, I'm going, whether you come or not. Being a good husband, they both got into the car and they drove into the city. And as they're driving, she says, Kamal, I want you to go to this particular area. And they go to this particular area. And as they're driving along, she says, uh, she sees a man on the street corner. And she says, Kamal, stop. I want to go and give that man the first Bible. Well, the guy who's on the corner is a big dude. He's a, he's a Muslim iman. He's wearing a big hat. He's wearing a big robe. And Kamal says, No, you're not. I know that guy. He's a serious dude. And uh, you could get hurt. Rihanna says, no I'm going to that guy first and if you don't stop I'm going to jump out the car. So what does Kamal do? Being a sensible husband he pulls over, Rihanna gets out of the car and and she walks over to this guy, guy and they start talking. And Kamal remains in the car and he's watching them and the guy becomes quite animated, he's moving his hands and Kamal thinks, oh, maybe, maybe he's angry. So he gets out and goes over and as he walks up, he hears his wife say to him, uh, look, I, I want to give you this Bible. And the imam says to her, you know, I've been waiting on this corner all morning. Because I've been having Jesus dreams. And last night I had another one. And I said, Jesus, what does this mean? This is the Muslim guy. And Jesus said to me, go and stand on this corner tomorrow morning and a woman is going to get out of her car and give you a Bible. And so I'm standing here. And then he said, you know, lady, it's 1230 you're late. (laughs) Just like the believers and leaders in Antioch and the cross-cultural workers in the Middle East, we also need to be actively seeking the leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit if we're going to be fruitful Christians and a fruitful church. The second way that the church in Antioch relied on the Holy Spirit is that they recognised, received and used the gifts that the Holy Spirit gave them. What stands out in Acts 11 and in Acts 13 about the church in Antioch is that people were using the gifts that God gave them for the glory of God and for ministry to the community around them. In Acts 13.1 we read that there were, there were prophets and teachers in the church. The prophets and teachers though weren't just Paul and Barnabas, other people in the church were referred to as prophets and teachers as well. Simeon from Africa Lucius from Cyrene in North Africa, modern-day Libya, are also referred to as people who were prophets and teachers. The church also recognised other gifts of people who were given to them. They were not just limited to those two. In Acts 11 verse 28, Agabus, who was visiting from Jerusalem, he stood up and predicted that there would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that there would be this famine and it would take place in Judea. Barnabas was also a gift to the church. He, he had gifts of wisdom a humility and discernment. And he was, he was actually, he, as he was able to judge correctly what was going on down there in Antioch. But he also realised, he had humility, that, the, that what was going on in Antioch was actually bigger than him. And, and, and uh, so he needed, he realised he needed help. So what did he do? He actually went to Tarsus, and got Paul and brought him back so that he could minister there alongside him Christ's promises or Christ's promise to the church is that he will give gifts to his church of people with spiritual abilities needed by the church to minister and grow in uh, in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4 verse 8 Paul says that Jesus gave gifts to his people in Ephesians 4:11 Paul says that the gifts that Jesus gave were apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. These gifts are not just titles, they are roles and functions and they are given, says Paul, to train Christians in skilled servant work. These gifts uh, didn't stop with the early church either. Paul says in Ephesians 4.13 that they will continue until all of us have come to the unity of faith, until we are brought to maturity, and until we are fully alive in Christ, like Christ. In other words, these gifts of people with special God-given abilities are just as necessary today as they were in Antioch. And they will be needed until Jesus returns, because we haven't got to the place where we've attained all those things. Christ gives these people with special God-given abilities to the church and our role as a church, I believe, is to recognise them and those gifts and to receive them and to encourage those people to minister using those gifts to the glory of God. Other spiritual gifts are given to believers for the sake of glorifying God as well. In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 7-11, Paul says that every person is given something to do that shows who God is. In the message translation, and I like the way that Eugene Peterson put this, he says, everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit to all kinds of people. The variety is wonderful. Wise counsel, clear understanding, simple trust, healing the sick, miraculous acts, proclamation, distinguishing between spirits, tongues and interpretation of tongues. But even that list is not meant to be an end in itself. It's not exhaustive. At Pentecost, we see that other gifts that weren't mentioned in that passage were also given. There were special gifts of boldness, of prophetic insight, particularly insight into the meaning of scriptures. There was praise. There was prayer fruit of conversion, unity, love, generosity, hunger for teaching and much, much more. These are all gifts of the Holy Spirit and are given to us for the glory of God and we need to use them also for the glory of God today. I'm not on a recruitment drive here for more pastors and and, uh, missionaries this morning. That'll be another week. What I'm suggesting is that when we look at the Antioch church, we see that people are using God-given gifts in the life of the church for the glory of God. And in the same way, we need to recognise the gifts we have in this church that God is giving us individually as well and use them so that we can bless each other and we can bless the community around us. We need, to, We need actually, what we need is actually we need each person in this community of faith to exercise they're spiritual gifts. Because if, we, if you don't ex- exercise the gifts that God has given to you, then we will be ineffective and we won't be as fruitful as we need to be. Whatever you do, whether you work in a laboratory or in the finance sector, whether you're a health professional, whether you're a teacher or a teacher's aide, whether you're a student or a stay-at-home mum, whether you're a retiree or whether you're the pastor, every one of you, every one of us, is a vital member of Christ's body and we need each of us to be fully alive, functioning, using the gifts that God has given us through the Holy Spirit. The third way that the church in Antioch relied on the Holy Spirit was that they did what they heard the Spirit say to them. The Antiochans didn't just seek the gifts of the Holy Spirit or didn't just recognise people as gifted Uh, As gifts from, from God, they also used them and did what the Spirit was leading them to do and say. When Agabus stood up and said that there was going to be a famine, the Antiochans didn't just say, well, fancy that. Let's see what happens. They could have easily had a wait and see approach because the famine wasn't in their backyard. But instead, They recognised Agabus as a prophet, his gifts as a prophet, and they listened, and together they discerned that God was speaking to them through him. And we're told that the disciples discerned that this was indeed a message from God, and then they suggested that everyone should help the believers back in Jerusalem according to their ability. Also in Acts 13.1, in response to the Spirit's leading they did just what the Holy Spirit told them to do while they were worshipping together and while they were praying and fasting. They recognised Paul and Barnabas to to undertake a special ministry. So they laid hands on them and they prayed for them and sent them off on this missionary journey Uh, and they even walked down with them to the port to see them off. The Antiochans don't even get a bragging right here because it says in Acts 13.4, they don't get the bragging right that these guys actually were the people who sent Paul and Barnabas off on this magnificent missionary journey, because it says in Acts 13.4 that they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. The Andy Ockens, though, were a willing group of people who God could work through to achieve his purposes, and I believe that this is what we must be today as well. What about you here this morning? What about us here as a church? What are we doing here? Are we wanting to be used by God for his glory? Are we willing to recognise and use the gifts that God is giving to each of us? Many Christians have a basic knowledge about the Holy Spirit, but when it comes to operating in the power of the Spirit, we stall and we're unsure. We're even scared. Where if you're unsure... About the role of the Holy Spirit in your life, I want to encourage you to look in scripture, to be like the Bereans who made sure that even the apostles' teaching was in line with scripture. In Acts 17:11, the Bereans received the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. When we're open and sensitive to the Spirit of God, then we will hear God speak to us and we'll have the courage to do things that God initiates, no matter how weird they seem, and this, I believe, will be transforming. Two weeks ago, we had a youth leaders training session here at the church and we invited Kim Smith from the Baptist Union uh, to come and teach us. And she taught us about five great things that leaders do, that good leaders don't do. And uh, she, she, one of the things that she told us was that a great leader or great leaders, what they do is they nurture their hearts for God. And when they nurture their hearts for God, they, um, they start to hear God's voice above other voices and other noises. And they're able to be sensitive to what God is saying to them and then they're able to do what God says. They're able to be guided and do what he leads them to do. Anyway, then she went on to tell us a story about a guy she met recently at Ocean Grove Baptist. And this man had recently had come to faith because a man who was sensitive to God's leading listened to God and did what he believed the Holy Spirit was telling him to do. You see, this guy who she met had a bung knee. Okay, He had had an accident or something. And his knee was so damaged that he couldn't even sort of bend down, couldn't, couldn't crouch down at all. And so one day he's out in his car and it breaks down on a highway here in Victoria, and, um, in, near, near Geelong. And he's out there, it's got a flat tyre, and he's out there trying to fix his car. And all of a sudden, this car pulls in front of his car and out pops this surfy dude. And he comes up. And he says, hey, I see that you're struggling to walk. Can I pray for you in the name of Jesus? Now the guy with a bung leg, he hadn't even heard of Jesus. So he looks at the guy and thinks, oh, what the heck? Why not? So he agrees and this surfy dude puts his hand on him and prays and asks God to heal his leg. And then after he finished praying, the surfy dude says, do you feel anything different? The guy says, no, no. So the surfy dude, he's not put off. He says, oh, that's strange. Can I pray for you again? Again, he prays for him. Again, nothing seemed to happen. Now the surfy dude was looking a bit more perplexed. but by, And this by this time it was getting a little weird. But uh, the guy says, well, look, the surfy dude says, I'd like to pray for you one more time. Because, you know, I really believe that God... Asked me to pull over here and pray for you. So again, he prays for him and asks God to heal him. And this time, he says afterwards, he says, "Can you can you try and squat down?" He says, "Oh, I haven't been able to squat down in years." But he goes and squats down, and he's amazed because he can actually go and squat down right to the floor. He was healed quite miraculously. Then the surfy dude says, "Look." I'm on my way to a life group, to a Bible study. Would you like to come with me? So a guy who had just been healed says, why not? This is sort of already strange. Why not go? So he goes, meets this surfy dude's other friends who all seem to be sort of talking about Jesus and uh, seems to have a good time and is sort of uh, confronted by a few things. And on the way out of this life group, they say to him, hey, Would you like to come to church? And he thinks, well, why not? This hasn't been so strange. At least they hadn't asked me to sort of sacrifice a chicken or something. So he goes to church. And uh, this is where Kim Smith meets this guy and hears him tell her this story about how he had encountered Jesus through a man who got out of his car and prayed for him. Now, not all of us are going to experience such dramatic healings. And in fact, for me, the healing is not, for me, the main point of the story. Because I've seen people healed in Africa. I believe God heals people. I believe that God does miraculous things. The, the main point of the story for me is that the surfy dude actually prayed for the guy three times. How many of us have given up after just praying once? You see, he was, he was actually had sensed the leading of the Holy Spirit in his life to pray that God was saying to him, "Pray for this guy," and so he prayed for him. And he was perplexed when the guy didn't get healed. And he prayed. He was bold enough to believe, and so he prayed three times. And as I was thinking about this story this week, I felt a little ashamed that, as your pastor, I might only pray once. I might just and go, "Oh, okay." I want to actually. Uh, be more in tune to what God is saying to me so that I can be bold enough to pray three times as well if that's what God wants. And I want to encourage you to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit as well to do that. You see, the believers in Antioch were a fruitful church because they did what they, what they heard the Spirit say to them, even when it seemed not to make complete sense, like sending money to people in another Country who they'd never met or sending their two key uh, ministers off on this journey instead of keeping them for themselves. Friends, it's a tough world that we live in. Many people around us have never even heard of Jesus, like the, like the guy with the bung leg. Others around us have been inoculated against Christianity. They've just received these small doses of religion and not had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ and not experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit so they can live in freedom, hope, and love. But if we're going to be God's kingdom people and if we're going to be a fruitful church that leads people to encounter Jesus, then we can only be this church and do what God wants in the power of the Holy Spirit. Today God is inviting each of us, each one of you, to be intimate with Him, so that you can be a blessing to others. Paul says in Ephesians in chapter five, eighteen, that that they should be filled with the Spirit. They are already Christ followers; they already had received the Holy Spirit. But what Paul is saying is that we need to keep on seeking to be filled with the Spirit. In Galatians, Paul tells them to walk in the Spirit. In the NIV it says that, but in the Message translation it says, Paul Eugene Peterson says, we need to be motivated by the Spirit, which implies that this, uh, we're not just filled up once and for all, but we need to go on engaging with God, seeking his filling, so that we can live holy lives and serve God the way that he wants us to. Friends, if you feel dry in your walk with God, if you feel lifeless as a Christian, but you desire more from your Christian walk, then I want to encourage you to seek God's refreshing and ask God to fill you afresh this morning with his Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the example of... um, from Scripture of changed and transformed lives. I want to thank you that all the people we read about couldn't do anything in their own strength, but only in your power. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us uh, to go on seeking uh, to be refreshed and filled each day by your Holy Spirit so that we can be and do the things that you call us to do so that we can glorify you and so that we can serve the people around us and so other people can encounter you in this, in this uh, time and in our age. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.